Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello, hi there. This is Sultan Ghaznawi from Translation Company Talk podcast show. And I'm very pleased to be speaking with Ishtvan Lengiel today. He's my guest. I'm sure most people know Ishtvan in the language industry as he has been very active, in particular with language technology. He is uh, the founder and CEO of uh, Be Lazy and a fun and great guy to hang out with. I'm pleased you're here, Ishtvan. How are you? Well, thank you very much. I'm also very pleased because actually, Sultan, this is the first podcast I'm ever in, so I'm nervous. And you're the first guest ever to be featured on the Translation Company Talk podcast. Isn't that something special? I hope I can bring some good insights in. So uh, tell me, uh, where are you located right now? What are you up to? I live in Spain at the moment, even though I'm originally Hungarian. Uh, I've been living here for uh, three and a half years, and I do enjoy it. <laughs> okay. the, the circumstances. It has been a challenging few months for the whole world. Uh, how did you manage to get through the COVID lockdown in Spain? Well, in all earnest, I had to spend all that time in Hungary. So I was there for three months and there it was not uh, too bad. So it was only, I think, 11 cases in a population of 500,000 in my area. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I uh, understood that Hungary fared much better than uh, most other countries. I'm in Canada and thankfully things are good, but uh, Hungary was uh, a lot more proactive and, and handled things better. So in any case, uh, let me get started with uh, some of the questions that I have for you. What inspired you to, to join the, the language and the translation industry? You've been involved for a long time. Yes, uh, and it, it is completely random. So I studied economics uh, at the University of, of Szeged in Hungary. And uh, I was going to class with, with a girl and she said at one point that she saw a course which was about translation, which was like a postgraduate course, but you could do it parallel to your final years. And uh, she finds it interesting. And I thought, I also find it very interesting. So why don't we just uh, try and, and enter the course? And, and that's what happened. So I did my, my translation course. And before that, I already did some uh, translation for, for a publishing company, but uh, that's how it happened. Okay, wow. Uh, so you've been involved since university then? I actually started translating when I was 16, a role-playing game for my friends, because some of them did not speak English. And it was like a 250-page book. And I translated the, the majority of that. Wow, at 16? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the text editor, because back then <laughs> I didn't really have uh, uh, anything else at my hands. I was using a Commodore Amiga. That's something, because a lot of us at 16, we didn't even know that what translation is. We When we read some text and uh, whatever language, we thought it was written in that language. Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't know much about translation, but we just wanted to play this role-playing game because we were geekies. <laughs> Well, I'm glad uh, you say that because 
um, you know, a lot of us now are uh, understanding the value of translation. So you you learned that at an early age. And you mentioned that you hail from Hungary, and I guess you were in Europe for the most part of your life. How were your early days in this industry? You said you started at 16. Yeah, but obviously I wasn't in the industry at the age of 16. So when I was 19, I started working for a published company, uh, publishing books. This was the company that was publishing uh, Microsoft Press in Hungarian. So most of my early experience was about translating uh, Windows 2000 and Windows 95 and and earlier uh, things. And uh, that was quite interesting because that actually sparked some interest in terminology for me. And because we had to translate quickly, it also um, allowed me to understand a bit better how translation in a team should be working. And remember, this was the time when uh, everyone was just using maybe their own uh, Trados licenses or Deja Vu at that time. Yes. And, or, or people were not using any tools. And, uh, and that's when we tried to make sure that uh, the text is consistent across uh, multiple hundred pages. And we were not sitting together, so we were already COVID compatible. Uh, <laughs> we were all translating from home right. in uh, Microsoft Word. And we kind of understood what were the pain points of translating. Like, for example, that you need to translate first the table of contents if you're not able to see in real time how the others would translate that. So this was how we started. And then I made friends in this publishing company with Balash Kish, who is uh, the chairman of the board of, of MemoQ currently. And uh, we embarked later on a not only a friendship, but also uh, we started working together. He was already working for a natural language processing company that was doing things like machine translation, uh, rule-based machine translation. And, and it was a really exciting company to work with, like very clever people there. And, and I, I really appreciated the possibility that uh, I was given. Well, innovation was happening fast during those days, I mean, in the translation industry. Um, uh, what's your experience from innovation and, and, and how people came up with creativity? Because at one point, uh, as you mentioned earlier, everything was manual and, and then automation started happening. Yeah, I mean, um, automation and also I think that innovation usually comes from two things. First, you need to understand what you what your goals are and what you are trying to do better. And the second is that you need to understand what is the environment that you are working in. And, for example, innovation came first from uh, the proliferation of servers. So when people started uh, connecting their computers to some central computer in the office that was already enabling work, which is which is collaboration, which is teamwork. The, later came the cloud, and now things are coming also out from outside the industry. So you hear AI, you hear uh, the API-based economy. These are all things that uh, you just have to keep an eye open, and you just need to make sure that you uh, try to turn it to your benefit. You need to understand uh, and you need to have a critical thinking on on uh, how to uh, make things better. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more actually on that. Um, you did work uh, a little for a little time uh, from my conversations with you uh, in the field of technical translation, I guess uh, um, that was in, in the early days. 
Yeah, that that is basically the publishing company that I was I was mentioning earlier. What was really exciting there is to understand how to conceptualize things. So one of the things that was very interesting there is is handling terminology and how terminology is a central thing to to translation. And I still believe that terminology is more important than anything like translation memory and other things. The thing is that we needed to develop these books or translate these books and publish these books when they were releasing the new versions of their software. And they were like quite in-depth things about new versions of their software or new, new software that they were releasing. And we did not really have a very close connection with those people who were actually localizing the Microsoft software at that time. Right. And it was interesting on how you need to come up with easy ways of something like a style guide for terminology translation, because right. usually these were these uh, four or five word acronyms and you had to find an easy way in Hungarian, given that that's my, my native tongue and we translated it into Hungarian, that are grammatically giving you the right choices so that, that the different uh, terms are going to be translated in a similar manner, giving you a feeling of consistency. And I think that consistency is uh, still what uh, makes a translation, uh, well, it's not the only thing that makes a translation good, but, but it can break a translation, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's very important. Like, uh, I mean, consistency and correctness are the two basic foundations of translation. I agree. So uh, tell me about how you got into translation technology. You ran Kelgray as their CEO for five years, and prior to that, you were uh, the chief operating officer there. So what motivated you to look at technology and get involved? That was uh, an interesting experience because basically it also comes from this story of translating the books where I met Bolaj. Right. And Bolaj was working for Morphologic. And I was really excited uh, by that company. They were at the time building things like the spell checkers and the grammar checkers in Microsoft Office products. They also had a dictionary software. So they were one company that was specializing on natural language processing. They were building amazing things also for research purposes, like, like you know, uh, lemmatizers for languages only spoken in the tundra of, of Russia. Right. And it was really nice to be surrounded by linguists who kind of got a grasp of how language works. And that's, that fascinated me. And I was working there as a research and development coordinator. So I was not, uh, even though I'm, I'm a linguist and I've got a PhD in linguistics, I'm not a hardcore uh, theoretical linguist. I, I wouldn't say that. But uh, I was working with them and, and I was able to understand uh, what made them tick. And one of the projects that we had to do was a so-called intelligent translation memory. Okay. And this was looking at, at uh, noun phrases, like trying to align those things together. Noun phrases meaning that there is an adjective and a noun or two adjectives and a noun. And, and trying to somehow improve what was the status quo with translation memory at that time. And this is the project that actually led to the uh, creation of, of Kilgray, which is now known as, known as MemoQ. Yeah, and very few that. people know that actually our first project product was not MemoQ, but really? it was a find and replace tool built into Microsoft Word uh, that was able to look for different conjugations of a word and replace it 
with the right conjugation. It was only working for Hungarian and Czech at that point, but it was quite interesting because uh, at least Hungarian is a very agglutinative language and uh, you can have many, many different word forms. And it was saving a lot of time in terminology unification. Funnily enough, I still haven't seen anything similar in the industry, mostly probably because there is no market for that. Okay, well, I hear you. Because pretty well known nowadays, and, and um, you were able to get the brand out quite early on, and, and everybody knows that. I think I know several companies that have deployed it. Uh, it, it is a successful company now, and uh, I think uh, that we were a great team to, to build it up uh, together. Uh, also, having the humility to, to understand the customers and uh, and work with them. So I am really grateful for these those years. A little shout out to MemoQ there. Um, when we met in San Diego uh, a few years ago at um, the sidelines of the ALC conference, uh, you told me something interesting. You said that the market for translation tools is becoming more crowded by the day. I mean, we see a lot of homogeneity there, a lot of uh, tools that pretty much do the same thing with little differentiation. Why is it becoming so crowded, Tishvan? Um, this is something that I had a few years to think about. And in a way, it's funny how the little differences in approach make one tool more, more suitable for an organization than another. And we can talk about the macro level, which is whether the company that is using this is a language service provider yes. or whether it is a, an enterprise. But we can also, within the enterprises, we can talk about, about different categories, like, like uh, the digital-only company has very different needs from a company that does like DTP, for example. Yes. And uh, I think that basically you cannot be everything to everyone. So uh, recently I've started working for, for Nimzi as an automation consultant, and this experience uh, comes from working with, with some of the enterprises that have commissioned NIMSI to, to help them in, in finding the right TMS. And I was surprised, like, how many differences there are. So even though there is a million similar functions in a tool, there are many differences. And it's very hard to choose the right tool for an organization, especially because there are so many and nobody is able to get a good grasp of the latest news about each and every tool. Then you've got a couple of tools that are kind of surprisingly missing the, the nitty-gritty. So, for example, for me, if you as a translator are not able to join two segments, that's pretty much a no-go. There are some tools that do this and others don't, and you always need to be up to date on, on each of the tools, whether they have allowed this or not. So what I think is that it's becoming so crowded because, because there is no single way of handling translations. There's even on the on the enterprise side, there is like a lot of issues with the quotations, which is something that other tools that may be uh, very suitable for for LSPs don't even uh, take into account. Right. Uh, so that's why I think that it's uh, it's crowded. And the other thing is that at the moment things are moving towards the cloud. So there are very few tools that remain there which are not cloud based or primarily cloud based. And there is also a, a change of generation because some of the old things that were really, really uh, important uh, are dying out. I mean, tools like package-based translation 
is uh, very much in the in the background compared to online translation these days and it's understandable because the internet connections have improved even in china there is way less problem with connectivity than there was a couple of years ago i remember that when at memoq it was our main model to allow people to work online for china we still had to enable uh, exporting packages because it was just not feasible for many of our customers. Uh, well, I mean, some companies will probably still deal with that because um, they imagine the freelancers are based in countries where the internet is not very reliable or they have problem with the hydro system, the electricity system. So you're right, but, but things are improving and, and it's moving forward. Tools are becoming more sophisticated. Uh, yet I heard from people within our industry that uh, they find uh, additional bills and whistles unnecessary and cumbersome. Uh, the question is, why is every translation tool developer trying to add more functions and buttons as opposed to uh, making it easier for the translator or you working on the user experience part of it to, to make sure that the job gets done uh, in a way that's less bothersome for uh, the translator. Yeah, and I think it's a very natural thing because um, every tool has its life cycle. Yes. So, and I'm talking here about technologies, not necessarily companies, even though they say that also companies have their life cycle. Of course. But what I find is that what is pioneering very soon becomes obsolete. What salespeople are trying to do is that they are trying to find new markets where to sell it. And new markets have different needs. And if you have different needs to service, then somehow you need to keep servicing your old customers and you also need to service your new customers. So I think that this is the main reason. And I think that every couple of years, people have to gather their courage and uh, think about whether the system that they have provided needs a complete revamp. But then obviously internally in the company, there are forces that go against this very often. And I also recommend uh, to most of the uh, customers that, that I work with, that they look at their technology approximately every five years for replacement. Even if they don't replace the technology, they will probably find a lot of things in their own workflow that they can simplify, that they can make better. So it doesn't mean that you actually have to get rid of your technology and, and buy a new one or, or uh, use a new one. But what it means is that over time, different people in different organizations are going to use the system differently. There is no way of, of herding the processes in most larger organizations. Because of that, complexity comes in, and that is unnecessary complexity. And you can blame your uh, customer for causing unnecessary complexity, but if you look around in your project management, you probably find the same thing. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's it's just natural that sometimes you need to take a deep breath, get rid of your daily duties, and uh, think about technology, because technology is reflecting your processes, and it's reflecting your workarounds as well. Absolutely, and, and you're spot on. Um, everything has a life cycle, especially technology. So um, in our industry, unfortunately, we still have some language companies that are using technologies from early 2000s, and they... They don't want to change, which brings me, brings me to the next question uh, about status quo. In your opinion, what are the issues that an LSE or language services company management face when it comes to uh, technology today? Like, what, what are some of the major challenges? 
I think one of that is, is actually process control, like understanding how things are, are happening. Because if you don't co- control the process, then you can't really have very meaningful reporting. And reporting is something that I hear a lot. But the basis for reporting is uh, to do things in a uniform way, because otherwise reporting breaks. And I think that uh, this is an area that uh, a lot of the tools, because, because of the different customers, the language service companies, they need to work in multiple ways. So they are not given this kind of benefit of uniformization. But uh, at the same time, they also need to keep these different ways under control. So for this reason, those tools that uh, these companies prefer to use, they are usually the more versatile tools, the ones that are able to, to accommodate multiple workflows that are very flexible. And the more flexibility you allow in a tool, the harder the reporting becomes. The other thing that I, I see and I also wish to uh, work on is the integration with other systems, which can be the integration with your customer system, which is something that, that is uh, BLaze's main focus. But it can also be integration with your own internal systems, uh, such as your, your uh, accounting system. And or, or like uh, reporting can also be done very nicely outside of the business management or the or the translation management system in uh, in tools that that allow business intelligence like i'm talking about the the likes of tableau software or, or qlake or microsoft power bi which a lot of companies are deploying these days right uh, so again most language companies or language services companies in, in our industry are small mom and pop shops or some of them have grown to a certain size and can't get beyond that uh, we have a whole episode on why that is and uh, just to give you a clue it has to do with uh, the owner's business acumen and, and poor planning uh, but yeah we will talk about that in, in another episode uh, what is the role of technology and helping a language company expand and grow? In order to uh, be able to, to grow, I think you need to have technology that uh, promotes yourselves. So this is something that I've seen also earlier, that productivity doesn't sell as much as how I can get more customers. And I think that now, I think that this is also very related to the process control because productivity is very much there if, if you don't do unnecessary processes. Uh, so what I think is that there are companies that are focused on sales and there are companies that are focused on operations. And I think that the right combination of these two is needed because if you are not able to keep your costs uh, low uh, or overheads low, then uh, it's harder to sell. If you are not able to sell more, then uh, over time you will face some problems and you will lose some customers and that's going to be because of your operations. Again, you have to have a balance and act there. Um, let, let me ask you about automation, uh, Istvan. So uh, when TM or translation memory tools came out, uh, the community was not very happy. I'm talking about the translators. Uh, they thought that, okay, they will be obsolete or computers will be taking over. Now we have machine translation that provides a degree of automation basically. And again, as usual, people have mixed feelings. Uh, very little effort is actually made on automating the process and the workflow. Project managers are working like crazy, trying to keep documents in place, trying to send emails back and forth, as you said earlier. There are some tools, obviously, trying to 
automate that, but I don't think it's perfect uh, and it's it's not functioning well uh, for everybody at the same level. Let me hear your perspective on that. What do you think? Well, when it comes to machine translation, uh, obviously what you're looking for is continuous improvement. And I think continuity is uh, pretty much the current business mantra because continuous improvement is needed for also for any kind of, uh, let's call it artificial intelligence or machine learning, uh, however you prefer to, to hear that. What you need to do is, is uh, loop the system back uh, for, for learning. So whatever changes to your documents that were machine translated, they need to go back in. And I think that uh, having this requires process. So I'm completely uh, process focused because if you've got a clearly defined and well-followed process, then you are able to bring in any kind of technology that you want. Obviously, they might require some changes in your process. But when I worked at an LSP, most important thing for me was to have a documentation of what people are doing when, because this is allowing you a way to understand what could be done better. Where are the, the, the bottlenecks? And when it comes to, to language service companies, I think it's uh, very important that these companies work with uh, customers of different levels of maturity. And what you need to make sure is that you are taking over some of their decisions somehow, and you are giving them the, the best practices because machine translation feedback loop can only improve machine translation if, uh, if, if the source material is, is good quality. Right. At the same time, I also think that there's very much a place for middleware now. And it's because there are so many machine translation engines, and it's not something that you can choose one or the other. It's that for certain language pair, for certain customer, for certain kind of things, you would need this or that. For other kind of things, you need something else. And having the technology to integrate so many different types of systems is, uh, is really crazy. I mean, just think about that. This is just machine translation is just one of the many uh, integrations. And what you want is a, is a, is a full scale integration. And it's much more, it's a very different thing to send a request that please, this engine translate this uh, sentence for me, then to make sure that you've got the right process instilled in this, that you have the setup for like how often you would be automatically exporting your translation memories for retraining. How are you uh, pre-processing that corpus? These kind of things. So that's why, that's why I don't see machine translation very clearly integrated in the translation processes. On, on, on that specific subject, uh, I, I think there is a lot of confusion when it comes to machine translation. I mean, there are different flavors of it. There's the public machine translation that Amazon and Google and Microsoft have. And uh, obviously, uh, it, it works for uh, end users probably to some degree. But then, then there is the custom engines that some companies build for uh, language companies or larger consumers of machine translation. And then there is the, the open source tools out there that you can take yourself Obviously, you need to have the skill set and modify it and, and build it yourself. So when people look at that, a company that has traditionally been offering translation services, they get confused. They, they don't know which way to go. And it's not cheap. Well, I, I don't think it's prohibitive anymore. There was a time when it was very expensive. I think that now it's part of the requirements to look into how machine translation can help. But on the other hand, 
in order to use machine translation efficiently, you need volume. So look into some of the biggest customers because it may not make sense for everybody. It may not make sense for all the languages. And I think that one of the problems why we are so fragmented as an industry is obviously that nobody speaks all the languages. Nobody is able to evaluate machine translation well. I mean, my personal problem with machine translation is that my mother tongue is Hungarian. And I do speak uh, Spanish, I do speak German, I do speak English, but I'm not speaking it to the same extent as a native speaker. And uh, this is making it really hard for me because Hungarian has only been covered uh, recently. And I see some very good translations now, but I never know whether it comes from a customized engine or a public engine and whether it would work uh, for everything correctly. So it's kind of, I'm in a hard place with machine translation just because of this. Well, that's that's actually a good segue to my next question, which is uh, in terms of the LSC or the language services company, uh, what is the next natural evolution step for for this segment in the technology world? Like, what should they expect next to see? Well, that's a hard one. Uh, I think that there is still a lot of business reasons for language service companies to stay in the business. And one of that is that no matter how technology changes, procurement at companies still doesn't like to deal with many vendors. And it's actually very interesting that uh, I see still, I see a trend to decrease the number of LSPs people are working with. I also hear from people that they prefer to work with the global uh, vendors like what? Uh, Slater cost like super agencies because they are able to deliver all the languages. And then like I'm sometimes asking that if you've got a good process, then you could even go to a single language vendor and get great linguistic quality there and just manage the process yourself. So in, in a way, what I am uh, seeing is that uh, I think that the language service companies still have their place. Where they don't have their place are the things that are technologically much harder to implement than with, with freelancers. So, for example, one case where I have seen a lot of uh, the freelance work uh, coming up is uh, continuous localization of mobile apps, right. which is not an enormous thing, even if you're talking about uh, relatively famous or, or well-known mobile apps. And you can probably cover everything with two or three translators per language pair. In this scenario, I have seen a lot of companies uh, opting for freelancers. But when it comes to volume, everybody likes to work with, with language service companies. So I think that what you need to kind of understand is how you are giving value to your customer. And very often I see that the best thing that you can do is give them hand-holding. I have seen, for example, uh, companies that really appreciate having like a weekly meeting on uh, on how the vendor can help them in, in, in working better. But of course, there's also the culture where you are the vendor, I am the customer, and uh, you just do whatever I ask you to do. So it's very hard to find the, the right ways. And people are different. And because people are different, I think that they are going to have different matches with people and, and styles. And they will be a better match for one type of company or another. And when it comes to, to the language service uh, companies classification, I kind of believe in this multilingual vendor, single language vendor uh, setup. 
because I see that multilingual vendors are very technology focused and customer focused, whereas single language vendors are very process focused. And at the same time, they are also very uh, vendor management focused. And I think that uh, for the fragmentation of the market, working with freelancers will always be more uh, viable for smaller local companies. They will get simply better deals for the proximity of the freelancers than for large global companies. Um, Shifting gears, let me ask you about something different. COVID-19 changed a lot of things for us. Uh, It pushed people to work from home or remotely. And as such, um, the adoption of cloud technologies has reached new heights uh, for obvious reasons. In your opinion, Istvan, what does it mean for adoption of translation tools and technologies? You mentioned earlier that we are not new to this because pre-COVID, the translation world used to live in a remote world. Uh, but what does it mean now? How, how are things going to change? Well, what I think is that uh, this whole virus situation was uh, teaching people a lesson. A lesson that you don't have to uh, be right there on the spot in the same office all the time. But I didn't, I don't think that technologies have dramatically changed. I mean, these co- uh, collaboration technologies, which are more like uh, along these uh, Microsoft Teams and Zoom and, and uh, Google Meet and, and other technologies, these have been used more than before. But at the same time, what I think is that from the translation technology perspective, not much has changed. So obviously, yes, uh, there is a bit of a move away from the, from the local, uh, environment, from the, from the installed software on your computer. But that has been happening for a while. Well, uh, believe it or not, I still have this one vendor trying to reach out to us, to my company and trying to sell us a software that can only be lo- uh, installed locally. So I don't know how they're going to fare out uh, in the COVID world because no, not everyone will be in the office. Yeah, I think that for freelancers, uh, actually installed software might, make, might still make sense, especially if they are working on large uh, quantities. But other than that, I have also seen that uh, translators' resistance towards Uh, the web-based software has decreased. I think everyone is learning more about it and education plays a key factor. Another thing that I want to talk about is data. Uh, Today, data has become equivalent to gold in terms of value, maybe a little bit more valuable than black gold, given how low the oil prices have been lately. Uh, Translation companies have gold mines of data beside the ownership rights issues. What is preventing them from turning that into massive data sets in the MT space? You mentioned earlier that you need a lot of data to, to make it work. Yeah, I, I think it's it's partly that. I think that you need to have like good quality data, which is something that if your translator didn't join those segments, it's not going to be so good quality. <laughs> Just saying. Right. Uh, I think you need to have quantities of uh, pretty homogeneous data, which some lucky translation companies do have. So the thing is that translation companies work with, with different customers. And I think that what, what is hard is, is to merge these customers' data together. So if, if you have some large customer, you have a better chance to, to turn this into something useful. But there's another question, which is like, do people understand 
how they are adding value to the existing and already good machine translation space. This is, is this going to improve the state of the art in machine translation? I mean, transition companies have gold mines of data, but Google has more. Of course, yes. And I think that this is a question that is very hard to answer. And uh, let's let's uh, continue talking about that. So our industry or the translation industry is a giant one. It's a big one. There is always demand for translation and content uh, localization. I guess technology has not always been kind to us. I mean, now we are seeing a proliferation of uh, new tools coming our way, uh, but we are still dealing with some tools and products, uh, as you alluded earlier, that were designed in the 1990s, and uh, they have remained. They've uh, they've just added a few features here and there, but overall they've remained the same. Do you think it's time for an evolution in terms of technology and, and tools and interfaces to make things easier and more seamless for the translator, the translation company, and the end user? I, I mean, as I mentioned the life cycle earlier, I completely believe this. And I think that people are seeing also the pressure towards this. So just recently, uh, SDL has released Language Cloud as an alternative to SDL World Server. And language cloud is, in my view, is just so much more intuitive. And word server is still the 90s technology, obviously with a lot of bells and whistles added in the meantime and kind of like kept up as a, as a good solution. But what I believe is that, uh, they made the right choice with, with releasing something new. So I think that companies need to rethink what they are doing and need to release things that are new. At the same time, there's going to be companies users that are not going to make the move for a long time until they really have to because people by definition are lazy and 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 you just don't want to take on extra work if you don't see the pressure to do that absolutely that's a very good point Ishvan, let me uh, get your uh, focus on on quality and i mean quality is a major very uh, subjective issue in our industry but let's say if we were to compare two medium-sized language companies one with technology savvy and uh, staying on trend with latest tools and tricks and the other one using traditional model which obviously is uh, you know working with older tools and so forth which one in your opinion delivers better translation quality is it the one that sticks to traditional tools and a very rigid process uh, or, or is it the one that's employing uh, the latest technology? I guess I want to know if technology can boost the language quality or is it just an enabler for faster delivery? I think the whole importance of this point lies in the, pro- in the process. Because what technology does is that it changes the process. Right. And technology doesn't do any miracle at any time. What it does is that people observe certain patterns and then technology is helping them in identifying uh, those patterns and improving things along those patterns. So if I I think about that, one of the topics that comes to my mind is LQA, which is this uh, linguistic quality assessment when people either as part of the process or outside the process send out certain translations for, uh, for the checking by another company to see whether it meets the, the quality requirements, the quality metrics. This is a very common practice. And if you've got a good process, if you've got a good set of vendors, if you've got right guideline 
then officially there should never be a quality problem. There still is. But when you look at, for example, uh, how technology solutions are looking at sampling the segments for linguistic quality assessment, is that they are looking at those people who are new to the translation team. Very often, this is this is one thing that happens. And of course, those people that didn't have the training, didn't have the onboarding, they are more likely to, to make mistakes than those people who have been working on something for a long time. But if there is a big change, let's say, in the style guide, then this is not what you need to do. Then you need to actually check those people who have been working on, on this customer for a very long time and see whether they are adopting the new new measures. So what I think is that is that pretty much everything is is revolving around process. Obviously, accuracy is important, but that is in your vendor management or your vendor recruitment process. How do you make sure that you are working with the right uh, type of people? And I think traditional companies are usually more meticulous when it comes to selecting the people, when it comes to enforcing the processes. So I think that it's a matter of, of uh, management style and it's a matter of, of, of people at an organization that defines whether they can really deliver. They have an eye for errors or an eye for quality or not. And I think that this is this is something that a lot of companies have the capabilities because they have people who are very good with texts, who, who can... Uh, quickly understand even in an intuitive way what to look for and uh, and how to make the process uh, not only uh, good but also efficient. We were talking about uh, the management style and, and uh, language companies. What is the biggest challenge that language service company management face today? Is it the technology or the threat of it that they will be, um, I guess, competing with that technology? I think what matters is to be to remain relevant. That's what is the challenge for every single company, uh, not only for language service, but also for others. I think it's like how to sell, what to sell and how to deliver. So there are new services. Uh, there is like way more of the video uh, localization than before multimedia, you call it. But uh, let's say a customer comes to me and tells me that, uh, they would like to not only translate their their mobile apps, but they would also like to translate their Alexa skill. Right. Do I know how to do that? Am I able to to give the right information? Uh, how do I research that? So technology is uh, sometimes scary, but on the other hand, there's only technology for things uh, that are delivered en masse. So for for really new innovation, there's usually not yet technology. It requires a certain uh, kind of critical mass to 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 get to to get some kind of a service into into a meaningful good technology. Okay, that's that's interesting. So, which is actually leading me to the next question in terms of the cost benefit analysis for adopting a new technology like a, pro, a project management automation tool for a medium or a small size language services company in in your uh, perspective or in your view uh, how do you see that cost benefit analysis something that that the management can look at and say yeah, yes this is something i would like to do or not do what are the factors i think that definitely it's very important to understand what's the new technology so for project management automation there are several uh, different solutions 
So one PM automation is basically that you enter a project and then uh, the vendor is offered to you, selected. Another level of PM automation is when all the vendor selection happens automatically. And then a third level of PM automation is basically projects that never see a project manager. And I think that uh, these are all very different uh, in, in how you should be treating them and how you should analyze the cost and the benefit. Uh, what we are doing is, is, is this last bit, like trying to, to look for use cases of uh, complete like, like end-to-end project management automation for the recurring jobs and, and create something which is around uh, the exception-based project management. What we have understood so far is that if this is a language company doing it like a, a single language vendor, it definitely helps in sales because uh, people open their eyes like, is this possible? Are you able to deliver some, some operational benefits? This is something that is already confirmed by our customers that if they talk about this with their customers, the customers usually get excited about. It. On the other hand, what's the cost and what's the benefit? I think it's it it definitely like the benefit calculation is on the side of the of the language service company and the cost calculation is what is the business model of the provider and these two have to meet somewhere I believe that technology vendors always have to make a point of making it worthwhile for their customers to invest into a solution sometimes they uh, meet it I mean mostly they meet it and sometimes they miss uh, the point and sometimes you, you get some bad technology implementation decisions where the cost was higher than what you could gain from it. But on the other hand, it's very hard for a technology vendor to perfectly understand the benefit because that's on the client side. And this is why there is a need for, a, for an open discussion. So what I think is that, I mean, there are lies, big lies and statistics, as Winston Churchill said. What I think is that all the, all the numbers are somehow fabricated that you can show, right. but they are fabricated on the premise of the best understanding of the problem. So what we think, for example, is that with, uh, with the PM automation, we think that you can actually do 10 times as many projects than without PM automation. But that is something that we have seen in certain companies, but we don't have like 1000 companies where we have identified that, that this is the, the truth. So it's kind of like, take it with a pinch of salt, Take it as a starting point, understand how you measure it, and then you are going to, to find out. I mean, what every translation technology provider wants is to make you more competitive because this is the only reason why you should be buying uh, software. Absolutely. So on that specific subject, a lot of uh, translation company owners that I know we talked about this earlier, they, they fear implementing technology. And I, I think the fear comes from the unknown. Uh, and, and sometimes they bring in outside vendors to plug, you know, systems uh, and integrate them. And they get locked in long-term contracts that doesn't leave them a lot of room to maneuver. They, that's been traditionally the one of the, the complaints I've been hearing. In your opinion, Ishvan, uh, what is the technology vendor thinking in order to solve these pain points, which have existed for the longest time? I think that with, with uh, the cloud migration that has happened over the last couple of years, this is actually better. And one of the things that I'm always asking is that if, 
if somebody is deploying a cloud solution and there is an implementation for fee for that, why would they ask the, the customers to commit for a year? I mean, this is something that, that I, I don't really see. I mean, obviously, you can if you can charge for the implementation cost, then you are already able to prove whether you are good or not. One, one thing that, for example, we have started experimenting with is that we are basing our pricing only on the project throughput. So if you don't get projects that are prone to, to the automation that we do, you pay nothing. If you do get projects, then you pay a percentage of that project. And this is something that's pretty new in the, in the space. But I believe that it's a bit like uh, handling the credit card payments. Right. I mean, it's not per transaction. There may be a transactional fee, but on top of that, there is always a percentage of, of how much you get. Right. And, and project management is similar because it enables you to do things that otherwise you would not be able to do for your customer. Very interesting. Why don't you share some interesting facts or memories uh, from your journey in the language in- industry? I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear about the experiences. Wow. Okay. So the most interesting fact for me is that I never seem to understand the language industry. Nobody it's does. Like I've been on, <laughs> on, on many sites and like I started out as a, as a translator, then tech, got into technology that was mainly adopted by translators in the first period. And then it was more uh, by the LSPs. I believe that I understand the LSP world, especially the, the, the smallest uh, language service companies, the, the best. Uh, but at the same time, I'm now working with Nimzi on some of the enterprise customers, and I'm always learning new things. And a lot of these things actually really revolve around things that are not specific to language or not specific to translation, but like uh, organizations, managers, cultures, these kind of things, very human things. Like there were a lot of interesting things that I learned over the last couple of years, but most of them become irrelevant after a time. And I, I remember, for example, that like 10 years ago or so, one of our customers uh, told us about a localization project that they have to deliver within eight minutes. And that was the turnaround time. And this was for the announcements of service outages, I think, in the, in the bus company of uh, Montreal. Eight minutes? Yeah, it was eight minutes. I mean, obviously, you don't <laughs> want to get those people stand there in the rain for too long of course and what are you doing right now i know you are in be lazy and you kind of uh, um, alluded that you are trying to help companies implement automation can you provide a little detail on that Uh, what is be lazy all about of course i mean uh, there's a personal story to everything and there's an official story to everything And uh, let me just tell you the personal story. I used to work for a company called On Global Language Marketing in 2017, 2018, just for a year. And they were like mostly multilingual vendor servicing other companies, but they also did work for uh, two or three translation companies. And they were getting like very structured jobs from these translation companies, but they had to follow a very simple process all the time. And this is what triggered uh, a need to automate these very, very uh, similar processes. And uh, this is what BeLazy does. So we can talk about continuous localization because that's where most of this is coming from, like these small projects. And this has been a reality 
in the last 10 years. This is nothing new, but we have not really seen a solution so far. And what I was thinking is let's, let's create a company that is trying to, to help uh, the supply chain address the problem of the decreasing project sizes. So if you have to work with customers who work in other technologies, and then you work with uh, continuous uh, localization, then your customers must work with some kind of of uh, a, a content or a translation management system. And for these kind of projects, let's enable the automation, no matter whether they are coming directly from the customer's translation management systems or the multilingual vendor's vendor portal. So if you are working for other translation companies, that was the first thing that we were thinking about because that's usually very well structured. And then if besides that, also the translation management systems integration, which so far only a couple of companies, the largest uh, language service providers had. And it was interesting that in the, in the space out there, there are many companies that provide integration with content management systems, but there were no companies that were providing integrations with the translation management systems. And actually content management systems are often integrated directly into a translation management system by the customer. So there is no need for an LSP to go directly into the content management system here because that's already taken care of within the enterprise. So this is where what what we are doing right now. And what we are doing is that we are actually connecting the different translation management systems and vendor portals into different uh, business management systems. It can be your own built business management system, or it can be something like XTRF or Plunet or, or Protemos or LBS, similar things. And we have actually just understood, we started with project creation, basically getting the project and accepting them in the customer system. But then we went on into project automation. And there are certain types of scenarios that we already can automate. And we have like a very ambitious vision uh, to get to. And we just published it actually yesterday on our, our website. Like what are the different scenarios? Because there are some of these really, really tricky scenarios where uh, your customer is, let's say, uh, a multilingual vendor such as RWS Moravia, and that their customer is using, I don't know, smart link. And there is no direct integration between one system and another, and you want the whole process to run automatically. And, and, and these are the things that are not particularly easy uh, to automate, but we are kind of convinced that we can crack that. Now, Istvan, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast they want to reach out to you, so they will connect with you on LinkedIn and uh, they would be interested to hear more from you. But uh, one last question, which conferences and events do you have lined up for the rest of the year? I, I know that most physical events have been canceled. Um, if people want to meet you or talk to you in conferences, uh, which ones would you list? You know, I would love to go to conferences. <laughs> Honestly, I miss Don't them feel, so yeah. much. And... And I'm not a big fan of these online conferences because I think I'm too much of a multitasker. Right. And after a couple of minutes, my attention is somewhere else. If I don't have to sit with my computer turned off, with my phone in my pocket, uh, then I'm, I'm very easily distracted. So that's not really my style. I mean, I will be speaking at some of the conferences, the Ukrainian translation industry camp, then Lock Worldwide, most likely also at the Gala conference. But in all earnest, I mean, if, if there is a possibility network, please do uh, come. But I think that these days, the best thing is for you to just use LinkedIn or email or something like that to, to connect well, and have conversation one-on-one. 
we we all have the same experience with virtual events. I mean, you only have so much attention spent to de- dedicate on on one thing at a time. But I agree with you. And and if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can connect through email or LinkedIn. And I'll provide some of the information in the description of the podcast as well. Istvan, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming to this show and for sharing your perspective and experience. I'm sure we all learned uh, a few things and I look forward to having you on our show in the future. So again, thank you for coming. Absolutely, thanks. And now, it is our product review segment. I take this time to briefly review three products that have relevance to language translation companies. I'm excited about the ones that I will be covering today. The first product that I am reviewing today is Omega T. It is an open source Java-based translation memory tool with a basic editing interface. It is very intuitively designed and supports XLIF-based translation memory or TM which is stored in a text file as opposed to a database. It has built-in text-based terminology and can import terminology in TBX format as well. It also has connectors for machine translation. A very versatile and lightweight tool that does the job of every other tool at no cost or licensing restriction to the translator. I highly recommend it as an offline editing tool for translators. It is also open source, allowing you to extend its functionality beyond its core spec. Its only drawback is that it doesn't look as polished or fancy as commercial tools. I would give Omega T a solid 8 out of 10. The second product I'm reviewing today is Project Open or PO as it's known. Built by our colleagues in Germany and Spain, this project management software was originally designed for a translation company in mind. It is open source, built on AOL server technology and TCL language. Project Open is a full server based software that can be installed on a local computer like a virtual machine and made available over your LAN or even the internet, or you can run it over a virtual machine on a cloud system like Amazon or Google. In addition, this software can be installed on Linux or Windows platforms. I personally know of several companies that have been running this software for almost a decade and it runs like a charm. What I like about Project Open is that it is a full system at the core. An LSE or language services company can install it, run the wizard and be ready to use it. It supports the core project management functions, workflows for translation and localization, a finance module that covers accounts receivable and payable, full reporting, basic freelance functions and HR, and a lot more. Like most open source products, some modules are not part of the core software and you have to buy a license for them. You will also need support from a vibrant community of developers to maintain the software over time. My other concern is that it is built on an older technology at the core. I would give this software a solid 8 out of 10.
The third software for reviewing today is GlobalSight. It is a full-fledged enterprise-grade open-source translation management system. Originally designed as a commercial product based on Java technology, it was acquired by WeLocalize several years ago. It was placed into the open-source space in both language services companies and enterprise clients like Google adopted it. The TMS features a full web-based translation editor with TM and terminology support. It also allows offline package management across several platforms including auto-packaging for Omega-T. It also has functions and features such as text alignment, translation memory maintenance, terminology browsing and maintenance. One of its most powerful features is the workflow component, where you can design anything from a translation-only workflow to a complex multiple-step translation, QA, linguistic review and approval, DTP engineering and even client approval integration. It is very well architected and was designed with an enterprise localization program in mind. Given its architecture independent platform nature, it runs on Windows and Linux or any platform that can run a JVM. Among the negatives are the complexity for administrators to install and maintain, training the end users, software compatibility issues and the biggest one is that VLOCLIZE has pulled support for the software. That opens the opportunity for the open source community to take over and lead the effort. This software deserves a rating of 7 out of 10. Alright, that is all for today. We're going to wrap up this episode right here. Share your comments, reviews, and don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.